Welcome once again to our service here on the second uh, Sunday of Advent. And um, as I've told you before, Advent is where we remember not just uh, Christ's first coming as we lead up to the season of Christmas, but also look forward in anticipation. You know, uh, I love that hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. You know, it's, it's a, a, a hymn which... Um, expresses the longing of our hearts and the fact that we uh, live between the times. I was telling the, those who gathered for our combined prayer meeting on uh, Friday night that, you know, uh, w- we are reminded in Advent that although Christ has delivered us out of darkness into His glorious light, you know, because we are between the times that His light has not fully come yet, His kingdom has not been fully established yet, we still live in these times where darkness often uh, overwhelms us, you know, not least of which is what we're going through in terms of our, uh, the pandemic, but you know, other things as well, the personal darkness that we face, uh, the, the realities of the trials and the tribulations of life. If you know, um, in uh, uh, the time I've been here, I tend to follow the lectionary readings because I, I believe it helps us to go through the Bible. The lectionary is set up so that if we follow all the readings every Sunday, by, uh, uh, in three years, you more or less cover the sweep of Scripture. And in particular on this, the second Sunday of Advent, uh, we have a, a, a character who doesn't often pop up in other times of the year. That is uh, John the Baptist. And um, yeah, thanks. The, the, uh, John the Baptist is a key character in Advent and actually if you follow the gospel readings it's not only this week but next week also we, we see him in view although I think next week the sermon's a different topic uh, Pastor Evangeline will be preaching but you know if you think about um, John he's not exactly a cuddly sort of character that you use on Christmas cards right it, it's an anomaly if you ever find one of those Christmas cards, maybe that's ancient history for most of us now. No one sends them anymore. Uh, But nonetheless, he was very crucial to God's plan. If you know how biblical history unfolded, you know that by the end of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, he was the last of the prophets. And there was this 400-year period of silence. In a sense, silence, not that God wasn't continuing to operate and, and work in the world, but he never sent any prophets forward anymore. Prophecy was silent for 400 years. And which is why when John the Baptist burst onto the scene, he created such a stir. Why crowds went out to him because, you know, there was a reoccurrence, a a reappearance of a prophet. And uh, in fact, if you look at the uh, Old Testament reading that Kenneth read for us, you know, there's allusions to him already, talking about the one who would come to prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of him who brings in a refiner's fire. And, um, you know, and here I'm going to look at this passage in Luke uh, 3, where um, uh, Luke quotes the prophet Isaiah talking about uh, uh, what John came to do, but what ultimately is, is meant for us in terms of preparing the way for the Lord. Now, it's, it's a question if you look at it who is doing what? In the first place, verse 4, he begins, he says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. And on its surface, as you read it, you know, the implication seems to be a call to action. 
that you know the, the prophet is telling us, just do it. Go ahead and try harder. Make sure you do better. Yet, in the very same breath, in verse 5, he continues, Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, and rough ways smooth. And it's clear here that really it's talking about God's operation, God's work, that He is the one that's doing what is uh, essentially a cut and fill uh, operation. I don't know if you are aware of what a cut and fill operation is like. Um, those of you of my vintage would remember, you know, the ways in which we used to take holidays. Holidays are distant memory for most of us, right? <laughs> but in the old days, you know, I always look forward to holidays because of the road trips to Malaysia. Now, not, not the being stuck on the causeway, right, for hours trying to get across. Uh, but the, the, the childhood experience of driving up to Malaysia for our holidays was always enjoyable in, uh, to a certain extent. And um, I don't know if you remember the long winding roads, the trunk roads you'd had to take uh, to get to different places, whether you're going to Malacca or KL or Kuantan or Cameron Highlands, or, you know, if you're brave, you drive all the way to Penang, right? That took ages, it seems like, especially as a young boy. But, you know, although it was taking forever, you had the constant refrain in the cars, are we there yet? You know, just pass the course, are we there yet? You know, the frustration of parents eternally. Uh, but it was always a very interesting drive. You remember that? Um, although it was painstaking and, and, and I could tell you stories, I remember some of the road trips with Alan <laughs> in his Volvo and now he's a very safe driver, okay, enough said. Uh, but um, the, 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 the road trips were such uh, interesting things, not just because the scenery changed all the time, you drove through different, but you get to drive through different towns. You know, places like Batu Pahat or Aitam or Yongpeng. You know, nowadays it, it's quite a, a different uh, story, but it was fascinating to me as a child, you know, seeing it. And I looked forward to driving through those places because, you know, those rest stops were always fun because the food's, of course, amazing, right? And you, you get to stop and you try different types of things and, and foods in these different towns. But of course, you know, in the early 80s and then stretched all the way to the 90s, Malaysia went on this uh, um, um, upgrading, infrastructure upgrading program and they built the North-South Highway. And now it's a straight road. What used to be a six to eight hour journey can be done in three. Uh, <coughs> I suppose uh, can be done in three, not supposed to if you follow speed limits. Uh, but you know what I mean, right? Okay. Uh, and and it, in some ways, it took the interesting parts out of the journey. It, it made things a little bit more boring, a little bit more sterile. I mean, nowadays, on the North-South highway, highway, as far as I'm concerned, you stop at any of the rest stops, it's the same, right? They all look the same, they sell the same things. You know, they're, they're, it's nice that they're clean or cleaner uh, than it used to be, but nonetheless, you know, it seems like it, it's not quite uh, the nostalgia that I, maybe it's just <laughs> poor memory, right? What you remember in your mind. But this is, uh, essentially what is happening here when uh, the prophet talks about every valley being filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, making a straight path, a straight highway, that you know, uh, work is done to uh, uh, um, clear the place. But it's not just talking about some kind of civil engineering project. 
You know, ultimately, he, he's talking about how in preparing the way, God is preparing the way through every human heart. The uh, metaphor continues, he says, you, uh, if you understand it, you know, when you think about those who are high, you often think about those who are privileged, those who have more. Uh, I was just telling yesterday's service, you know, a good friend of mine just sold his flat here in Queenstown, this development called Sky Terrace. He managed to get, he was ballot number one <laughs> when he was balloting, and he got the top floor, you know, literally like a penthouse, although it's just a simple five-room flat, and he broke the record for Queenstown. You know, he was almost going to break the record for Singapore, except for the fact that a few days earlier, someone in Bishan sold their DBSS flat for a higher, you know, slightly higher amount. So then he says, never mind, I'm the highest non-DBSS flat in Singapore. <laughs> Nonetheless, and, and he was grateful for that. And, you know, in, in a sense, it's a metaphor for people who are privileged, you know, for information, I'm living on the third floor, okay? <laughs> so, uh, but the reality is this, you know, uh, what, what the prophet is speaking about is those in the valleys will be lifted up. But those who find themselves high up there will be brought low. In fact, uh, Mary in her Magnificat, she, she prophesied this, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And that's, you know, a scriptural principle, isn't it? God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. But if we're honest, and when we stop about and stop and think about God's cutting and filling operation, it's not a comfortable operation for us. It takes some of the interests out of it. Things seem, you know, uh, too flat. Where the Lord challenges us about the ways in which we may be privileged. And, you know, challenges us to help raise those who are in the valleys, those who may be oppressed or disenfranchised. You know, in this year ahead, I, I believe one of the things the Lord is, is speaking to us is like, do you really take me at my word? How serious are you about what I say? Do you trust my word? Do you place faith? You know, we do most of the time, especially when it benefits us. But when the word begins to challenge us, in areas that make us feel uncomfortable, are we still willing to take God at His word? Are we still willing to trust and obey? You know, and I believe that's what happens and what uh, um, um, John came in to do. And that's why it, it starts in the, earlier in the passage, verse 3, what John was doing was this. He went into all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Preparing the way of the Lord means that not just we prepare ourselves, but God is doing a heart surgery on each and every one of us. Yesterday, I took the opportunity with the young people uh, and uh, those who attend the contemporary service to do a little bit of instruction as we went through the liturgy. Uh, you may have noticed we are introducing the full liturgy again, going back to hopefully uh, some level of normalcy in terms of our services. And today we began with the uh, Collect for Purity, right? Uh, um, um, and it's, it's, it's interesting, and I was teaching them, you know, 
Thomas Cranmer, who's uh, largely the, the one who wrote uh, our prayers as Anglicans, he believed and understood human nature. That, you know, a, a, a very clear sense of how we operate is this as, as human beings, is that what the heart desires, the will chooses, and then the mind justifies. What the heart desires, the will will choose, and then the mind will justify. You know, we like to think of ourselves as rational human beings and, you know, that we're led by our thinking and our beliefs. But how many times have you found yourself, you know what is right to do, but you don't do it? That's not just because of sin, but because, you know, our human nature is such that our heart wants what our heart wants. That we are often led astray by our desires, which is why this uh, colleague for purity, you know, he calls out to God, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. You know, and we are also, during seasons like this, of penitence, you notice the purple is a, a, a color for uh, repentance. It's the season of Advent, season of Lent, which are seasons of repentance. Um, we recite the uh, Ten Commandments instead of just doing the summary of the law just to remind ourselves that we have are people who have fallen short. Remind ourselves of why we have the general confession and to remind ourselves that there is a need for repentance. And I love the refrain in, in, in the um, uh, Ten Commandments. Lord, have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Because it's not a matter of us knowing the law, not a matter of us exercising greater willpower to uh, uh, obey the law. It's a matter of a change of heart, of God doing this deep work in us. And I'll get to how that happens and why it needs to happen. But sometimes when we talk about repentance, especially as we are in seasons of repentance, there are some people who think, ah, repentance are for losers, right? Uh, um, to win is never having to say sorry. <laughs> it's the mantra for some people. Hopefully not for any of us. But nonetheless, I uh, have been, you know, one of the things I do in, at Advent is to read through a book by uh, 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 an Episcopal priest by the name of Fleming Rutledge uh, on Advent. And she, she's written this book, actually the collection of her sermons, and she's a really powerful preacher. Uh, but um, she talks about repentance and how, in reality, she says this, Repentance is for the strong. Perhaps you've noticed this. The person who steps forward and takes responsibility is the leader, not the weakling. People who are insecure are either unable to repent out of fear or are forever saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in such a reflexive way that it becomes meaningless. Our entrance upon the Advent life means taking a good long look, not at someone else's deficiencies and faults, but at our own. You know, and that's why, um, uh, again, Kramer's version of the confession, you, you will hear it uh, and recognize some of it, but the modern version which we use have left some parts out. He says, we have left undone those things which we ought not to have done, which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But then he adds this phrase, and there is no health in us. This acknowledgement of the fact that we need radical heart surgery, that the Lord needs to do this deep work in us. 
So what is it about? How do we find this radical heart surgery happening in our lives and in our hearts? This, this baptism of repentance. You know, in Malachi, not the uh, passage that we read earlier, uh, Kenneth read for us, but right at the very end of the book, there is this uh, prophecy that again points towards John. In verses 5 and 6, the last the two verses in the Old Testament in our uh, uh, Christian Bibles, it says, Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Elijah, of course, points to John the Baptist. Uh, understanding in all the New Testament uh, understandings of John the Baptist is he was the uh, return of Elijah. And Elijah was something in the Jewish nation and the mindset was who they were looking forward to. In fact, if you ever um, go for a Passover meal with a Jewish family, you will know that they always keep one seat empty at the table. And that, ta- that seat is always kept empty for the prophet Elijah. You know, the believe Elijah who was translated into heaven, he didn't die, will return again uh, on, on the day of the Lord. And, and so, you know, the prophet Malachi is pointing to that. And he says this in verse 6. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. What this prophecy really points to is that one of the worst things in the world we can face, one of the worst curses we have, is the estrangement of families. I don't know how many of you young people feel miserable about your parents for various reasons, sometimes justified as a parent, in my mind, often unjustified. (laughs) Or as parents, how many of us face disappointment or are deeply worried about our children and there is a breakdown in the relationship? God's plan for salvation, His intent ultimately is to bring about reconciliation. You see, because familial breakdown is ultimately a sign of sin and death in the world. It's an age-old problem that stretches way way back in biblical history, right to the time of Adam and Eve. In the garden, you know, the blame game started right there. It's her, her fault, her fault. (laughs) You know, and, and all these uh, realities of um, 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 Cain and Abel, which ended in murder, we see that the reconciliation that Jesus wants to bring points to the fact that the kingdom of God is among us. But how is this sort of reconciliation uh, supposed to happen? You know, in that sense, Don Henley was right. Some of you know Don Henley. He became a. Uh, he was from the Eagles, the pop group, and then uh, a rock group, and later on became a, a um, individual recording artist. And he had this song, "The Heart of the Matter." You know, I, I, I've used it before in, in sermon illustrations and the like. But there's a refrain in his uh, song which I think is powerful because he points out at the end of the day, to heal any relationship, it's about forgiveness. It's about forgiveness. You know, and I remember uh, early on in my seminary education, we had a professor who was talking about, you know, family relationships and doing some uh, uh, talking about pastoral. And he said, you know, if you really want to find reconciliation in the home, you know, husbands 
Forgive your wife for being a woman. Wives, forgive your husband for being a man. You know, I, I've been married almost 30 years. I'll be 30 years next September. And up till now, uh, uh, Karen knows this. She was in the service yesterday, <laughs> and I said it. <laughs> and she will acknowledge it, you know, despite the fact we've been married so long, there are things about her I still don't understand. Things about her that still frustrate me. And sometimes it's just the fact that she's a woman, she thinks differently, and she has a different perspective on things. And, I, you know, sometimes the two uh, never really fully reconcile. But ultimately, we've recognized and we've told all the couples we do marital prep with, you know, forgiveness is one of the most important characteristics that we need in our uh, marital relationship if we are going to succeed in life, if we're going to go the long haul. But it's certainly true of any relationship. Stop and think about it. How many of our relationships disintegrate because of a refusal to repent? Because of an insistence of one or both parties to say, I have nothing to say sorry about. And it's a sad fact of reality. This is not only true of our um, uh, blood relationship families, it's also true of Christian families. Where we've seen communities break down because one or both parties refuse to repent, refuse to admit mistakes, refuse to forgive. And in my experience in pastoral counseling, you know, it takes two hands to clap. <laughs> yes, sometimes you may say one person has more to blame than the other, but all of us have some part to play in whatever has happened in the breakdown. And the need to be able to acknowledge our fault, to repent of our part in the matter, you know, often breaks the impasse. I don't know how many times I've seen this happen in, in, in couples I work with in my own life. The willingness to repent, to acknowledge fault, somehow ushers in streams of grace. It, it, it breaks the, the, the deadlock and it allows healing and, and love to flow once again. That's why, like I was saying earlier, you know, as Anglicans, we always have a general confession. There's always this reminder that we need to recognize our part and how our hearts are often, you know, uh, um, curved inward on itself, looking out for our own interests, not to the interests of others, as, as uh, uh, Paul would say in the letter to the Philippians. I hope, you know, when we go through the general confession, we're not just going through the motions, which is a danger, you know, when you become overly familiar with something, right? Familiarity breeds contempt, they say. But, you know, if we want to see reconciliation take place, we need to learn to ask and receive forgiveness. We need to act, uh, um, perform acts of repentance. And that is the way in which we see a reversal of the curse. That is the way in which we see God at work in our hearts and in our lives. But how is God at work? And, you know, we take heart in this, the epistle reading that uh, Kenneth read is taken from Philippians chapter 1 and I always love this verse in Philippians 1 6 where he tells us that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus 
You know, Advent is a season not just of these four weeks before Christmas. It's actually really the metaphor of life. We all live between the times of Christ's first coming and his second. And because of that, we are always in via, it's, it's the Latin word for on the way, in the process. You know, be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. I remember a, a t-shirt in the 70s people used to wear. And, and, and that reality is, is, is expressed here that God is doing His work and He is working His purposes out. But the completion only comes in the day of Christ Jesus and His uh, return. And as we live between the times, you know, we are to continue to allow God to do this heart surgery on us. How does that happen? In fact, if you read on in that passage towards the end of what was read today, in verses 9 and 10, Paul's prayer, I think, gives us a clue. His prayer for the Philippian Christians is this, that your love may abound more and more, that your love may grow more and more, that your love may you know, be overwhelming more and more. More and more in what? More and more in the knowledge and depth of insight. That we may grow in our understanding of how deep the Father's love is for us. Because it is that love, that agape love of God that births goodness in us. There's an older hymn which we seldom sing at all, if at, uh, anymore, if at all. And it's uh, entitled, My Song is Love Unknown. Samuel Crossman. And, and the first two lines are powerful. He, he begins, he says, My song is love unknown, my Savior's love for me. Love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. That as loveless people, as we begin to understand greater and greater God's great love for us, it transforms us. It renews us. You know, so often the unwillingness for us to act lovingly towards others is because our love tanks are empty or close to empty. And it's very hard for us to give love because we haven't received love. And the way in which we can fill up our love tanks is not to look to finite sources of love, which is human tendency, but to look towards the infinite source of love that is God, the God who is love. Which is why as we come to the table of our Lord this morning, where we are reminded that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are reminded about his actions upon the cross that his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us because he loves us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and reflect upon God's word. Be reminded of the message of John the Baptist who came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That in repentance, there is forgiveness. And as we have been forgiven, we can forgive others. 
Let us pray that as we abound, as we grow more and more in the knowledge and insight of God's love, that it will transform our hearts, that God will do that radical heart surgery in us. so that our relationships may be healed, so that we may be reconciled not only with the Father, but with one another as well. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which comes to us at this time, which is so apt and needed. Lord, we acknowledge that our sin is ever before us. The older liturgies remind us that there is no health in us. But we come before you, the great physician, asking you, Lord, to change our hearts. To continue to do that deep work of transformation. So that, Lord, we can truly become a people who prepare the way for the Lord. That by our lives, by the way in which we live, by the way in which we conduct ourselves in the world, that all flesh ultimately will see the salvation of God. Come, Lord Jesus, do that deep work in us, we ask and we pray. And all God's people say, Amen.